Well, happy Mom's Day. Um, I'm assuming we've got some moms here today. Uh, I, I sometimes feel strange saying happy Mom's Day um, because I never know if it's a happy Mom's Day. I know it's Mom's Day, but you never know if it's a happy Mom's Day because the reality is sometimes Mom's Days are hard, right? Uh, the everyday routine of being a mom is oftentimes a difficult task, and we celebrate moms on a special day, but moms deserve to be celebrated every day, right? And that's the motto in our house with my boys. Yesterday is Mom's Day, but let's celebrate mom every day by showing her honor and respect. And I was thinking about this Mom's Day and, and, and maybe even propose that we change the name uh, from Happy you know, Mom's Day to Thankful for Mom's Day because whether today is a happy day for you or a hard day as a mom, um, we can all be grateful uh, for the moms in our lives, whether that's your um, natural mother or a mother figure who's been a mother to you. There's a lot to be thankful for um, in moms. And as we think about how the Bible defines love, uh, love is the laying of yourself down for the sake of others. Um, though I think as human beings we fall immeasurably short of showing Christ's love to one another, I think moms get closer to it than anybody else. Um, though we all fall short, um, you can see a reflection of the love of Christ in a mom on Monday morning when the alarm goes off and she would rather just roll over and go back to bed, but kids have to be awakened and prodded to get up and get ready and transported to school and all the things that you do as moms so um, self-sacrificially reflects the love of Christ to the world around you. So thank you, moms, for all that you do. Um, today... Uh, we're going to, the title of today's sermon is A Woman After God's Own Heart. And that is tailored not just specifically to moms, it's including all women, whether you are a mom, a grandmother, a great-grandmother, or you're a teenager and you're not a mom, you're not married. Um, specifically for all the ladies in the room, we'll be looking at um, God's word and how that paints a picture of what it means to be a woman after God's own heart. So, but a couple disclosures up front. Uh, to try to keep myself out of trouble, if I may. So um, that idea of being a woman after God's own heart comes from a biblical declaration about King David when he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. Now, I say that because in order to see David as a man after, owns, after, after God's own heart, we also have to see David in the midst of his struggles and failures. When the Bible declares that about King David, the Bible is not saying that David is a highly moral man or an example of what it looks like to be a man. That The Bible declares that about David is because David knew where to take his failures. He knew where to take his mistakes. And so as we approach that subject this morning, ladies, in order to talk about being a woman after God's own heart, we have to talk about weaknesses. We have to talk about failures. We have to talk about doubts and fears. And so... What could go wrong this morning? A man up front talking to women on Mother's Day about failures, right? So, for your convenience, if you want to jot this email address down, if you have any feedback for me or criticisms, or um, my email address is nick at <laughs> srchurch.tv. Send all of your feedback that way, and I'll make the appropriate corrections before next year. Um, no, seriously, desire for this morning to be a blessing especially for the women who are present here today, whether you are a, a mother or not, whether you're married or not. Um, but in order to talk about blessing, we also have to talk about weakness and struggle. 
And, and so today we're going to be looking at the example of Sarah. Sarah was Abraham's wife. As we think about God making his promise to heal the nations, we talk a lot about Abraham, but so often forget about Sarah, uh, the one through whom uh, God used to bring Isaac into the world to begin this amazing family and this, this great legacy that would become this great nation through which God would heal the nations around the world. And so today we're going to specifically look at Sarah's role uh, in Genesis 18 and also in chapter 21. Um, but before we get to um, the scripture, just, just talk, let's talk openly about some of the struggles that you ladies face in the world today. And, and I know this won't land on all women, but in some way, um, I, I feel like this might describe um, at least a season of your life. It might be right now. It might have been 20 years ago, or it might be a season you're about to walk into, but as we look around the world today and we, we understand the impact of living in a fallen world and the impact that has on um, the woman's heart, um, I see some things through my own interactions with women, through counseling, through having a mom, having sisters, having a wife, and so often in the lives of the ladies that I, I see in our world today, I see um, women who are shackled with shame. Um, women who oftentimes seem crippled with fear um, or you know, paralyzed with doubt um, and don't truly believe the things that Jesus says about them. And so ultimately today, our hope is not in just talking honestly about failures, but our, our hope today is in, in redirecting our hearts to the only source of peace and joy, which is Christ and him alone. And that's where we're going to land today. Um, but let's talk about some of the things that we see. Um, the first thing I would talk about is, is what I call the bad girl syndrome. Um, this often comes from um, having just made a lot of mistakes in life. I don't know if any of you ladies can look back on life and maybe teenage years and just see a lot of stuff that you just wish wouldn't have happened. Things that you um, were involved in or partook in and you just wish that was not part of your story. And if you sit and think about it long enough, it begins to creep in on you and to begin to kind of feel shameful and there's that bad girl syndrome. But there's another aspect of that um, that happens often in the hearts of ladies and it's things that have been done to you. We talk about that openly and honestly in here because it's a reality for a lot of ladies that they, they carry that, that baggage from the past forward. And so there's this bad girl syndrome. I just feel like a bad girl. I know that Jesus forgives sins and he, and he, he saves and he heals, but I just have a hard time believing that for me. And then up against that, we have the good girl syndrome, which is this idea of hypermoralism or moralistic deism, this, 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 this list of standards that you feel like you have to meet in order to make everybody in your world happy, right? And mom can, never has any room to fail, right, in front of the eyes of the kids or the eyes of her husband or that her friends, and there's all this pressure to get it right, this less than feeling when you compare yourselves to other women. Now, I found, discovered something interesting that won't be any new revelation to you ladies in the room, but it will be for the men. Uh, in preparing for this morning's sermon, just researching uh, uh, from even a secular perspective on how, like, you know, the secular world describes the struggles of women, I learned something. Men, I don't know if you know this or not, but when your women get dressed, your wife, your ladies, your girlfriend, they get dressed in, in the mornings and they get all dolled up, did you know they're not doing that for you? This is a newsflash to me, right? My wife comes out of the closet just looking radiant and beautiful, and I'm like, man, she really wants to impress me once again. She's not getting dressed for me. 
More often than not, and ladies, you know this is true, when you're getting dressed and you're thinking about the decisions on how you're going to wear your hair and your makeup and what you're going to wear and which shoes, right? it's about what she thinks about you. The cycle of comparison that really is just fueled by social media when we, we look at what other mommies are doing, what other wives do for their husbands, and maybe even this morning you've been drawn into social media to see how your friends are being celebrated today, and, and that comparison cycle leaves you feeling less than, like you don't measure up. We look at the women in our world today, and we ask sometimes, how could you drift towards such desperate measures looking for peace and hope? We see some things, some results. I think one of the the most frequent um, corrections for women in the New Testament has to do with gossip and slander. You wonder, why would women drift so easily into gossip and slander and tearing people down when they've been given such a nurturing heart, such a self-sacrificial heart, and we begin to understand this comparison. If I can't excel, if I can't meet your standard, then what I'm going to do, I'm going to try to lower the standard. Uh, Compromising moral standards. Um, I know that many of you bear the scars of this, and I saw it so frequently in high school ministry when I was a student minister. Um, you know, boys playing around with love to get physical relationship, and, and girls would play around with the physical relationship to get love and try to feel emotionally nurtured and, and never got the good end of the deal. And so you see females compromising the moral standards, slipping into substance abuse. Some turn to shopping and habitually overspending, slipping into eating disorders. Flip side of that is oftentimes when God calls you to something, you, you avoid risk-taking because the last thing you want to do is fail. God calls you to, to, to minister to somebody or to pray with somebody or to spend time with somebody. And, and rather than following God's prompting, you, you, you shrink back because the last thing you want to do is mess it up. So you avoid God-honoring risk-taking and even in, indulging and engaging in self-destructive behaviors and this is something true. You see women who've been abused oftentimes returning to that same format, that same context where they are misused and abused. And we, we ask ourselves, well, why would you do that? What drives um, women into desperate situations? Because surely no little girl ever dreamed about these things, right? I mean, there's not a girl ever who, who was, was, you know, one day playing with her dolls and looked up at her mom and said, you know what, mommy, I can't wait to grow up and be insecure, Right? Can't wait to grow up and compare myself to other women. And, right? No, no little girl ever said, God, I, I, you know, please let me have a failed marriage. I can't wait to grow up and have a, a failed marriage or, or disobedient children or broken relationships with my kids. And no woman ever, think about it, you know, dreamt about having an eating disorder or. Slip, slipping into substance abuse or you know, prostitution. Like, we don't have Barbie dolls for those things, right? Because it's not what you dreamed about. It's not what you hoped for and expected. Yet, so many women in our culture today drift into some form of the struggles I just mentioned. Well, today we're going to talk about the answer to all that. And, and I, my hope for you ladies today is to pull off some of the pressure that you so frequently put on yourselves. As we look at Sarah in Genesis chapter 18, now, before we get here, surely in Sarah we can find an example 
of what a godly wife and mother should look like, right? Because in the big picture of the Bible, a lot is hinging on Sarah. I don't know if you know this or not, but the big promise of the Bible, we just finished a sermon series on it, is God is going to rescue the nations through a descendant of Abraham. But before Abraham can have any descendants, his barren wife has to have a child. So really, a lot is hinged on what God will and can do through Sarah. She's a big part of the story. And in Genesis 12, God makes this promise to Abraham. And then in Genesis chapter 18, God shows back up in this miraculous appearance to Abraham and said, okay, Abraham, now's the time. We're gonna get started now. Your wife's about to get pregnant. And there's an appearance of three men here in Genesis um, 18, and, and this is a representation of God himself as he speaks to Abraham. We'll pick this up in verse nine. They said to him, that they is, the, is God speaking through these three figures. God's, so God speaks to Abraham where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So this passage begins with God stating a promise, right? This is what's going to happen. Now the next scene, Sarah's going to respond. This is the end of verse 10. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Verse 11 reminds us of some things. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, and my Lord, which is her husband, is old, Shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Shall I indeed bear a child now that, excuse me, the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh when, uh, and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Now, you may not be familiar with this part of the story of Sarah and Abraham. We hear about this big promise to Abraham, and we just picture Sarah just going along with it as this faithful wife, believes in God, trusts her husband, says, all right, let's do this. Gives birth to Isaac and everything's hunky-dory, nation of Israel, God saves the nations. We don't always stop to look at the struggle that Sarah went through. Now, I think in this passage, it's more than clear that there's some things going on in her heart that are making it hard for her to believe and to trust God. To, to just kind of illustrate this for us, you know, Sarah laughs. Well, what is Sarah's laugh rooted in? Because I don't get the feeling from this verse that it was a ha-ha, funny kind of laugh. Do you? I mean, did you hear the things described here? Sounds like her laugh is rooted in doubt. I hear what you're saying, God. 
I just don't believe it's going to happen. Well, why? Well, one, she was old. Two, we know historically, she was barren. So up to this point in time has not been able to conceive and bear a child. And then we read even more specifically that the way of women had passed for her. That's just Bible talk for saying she's past menopause. Okay? So no longer is her body showing the signs that she's able to get pregnant. So for Sarah, this is a a, a dream and a hope she's given up on. Right? For Sarah, this is not, not possible for her. Now, just to put this in context... In our day and time, it's not as big of a deal anymore for women to not have children. Whether they choose or they're just not able, it's not as uncommon. In Sarah's time, this was a major sign of disgrace. See, the, 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 the honor of the woman in the house was that she was able to bear children. That was a big deal for them, culturally speaking. So for Sarah, the backdrop of this story is that she had lived a lifetime feeling like a failure. I mean, think about it, ladies. Every new person she encountered who began to engage her in conversation and ask about her family, she had to relive the fact that she was unable to bear children. Hi, my name's Sarah. This is my husband, Abraham. Oh, well, this is my husband, whatever, and these are our children. Do you have children? And every time that question was asked, that sting, that pain of just reliving the fact that she was unable to give birth to bring a child into this world and culturally speaking a lot of shame was heaped up on Sarah and so in this moment God's not just telling a joke that's not why she laughed he's actually stirring up some pain and some shame he's showing Sarah her inadequacies here now the beautiful thing about God is he doesn't leave us there he's not just going to stir this up and leave her there but he's stirring this up to show Sarah something amazing about his power But not only did she laugh and doubt, rooted in her inability to do what she'd always wanted to do, more than likely, but once she was called out, we saw the fear begin to well up, and she did what? She lied. I see this so often in the world that we live in today, ladies, and I just need to be honest with you. Whether you lie by saying something that is untrue or you lie by projecting an image that's not true, both are a lie. And so many ladies are tempted to cover up shame and doubt and fear by projecting an image trying to look like you have it together you want to look like you have it together don't you you want to look strong you want to look like the perfect mom so you right you want to project that image you want to look like the perfect wife who has it all together and if you're not careful and you begin to trust in that you're trusting in a lie listen ladies let me take the pressure off you don't have it together Now, you've got it more together than the men in the room, but you don't have it together. You're not a perfect mom. You're not. You're not a perfect wife. You're not a perfect friend. And here in Sarah's example, we see that Sarah was not a perfect woman either, was she? Now, I have a suspicion that I think is founded in the text Sarah's laughing was not in humor, but she was laughing to keep from crying, to keep from feeling the pain of inadequacy and dealing with what she wasn't able to do. She laughed almost as a way to kind of self-medicate that moment. Well, here's what's beautiful about this passage we just read. It begins and ends with God's promise. Did you catch that? Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. 
Sarah laughs. God said, hey, why is Sarah laughing? Oh, by the way, it doesn't matter whether she laughs or not. Here's what I'm going to do, Abraham. That's what I'm going to do. Me fulfilling this promise isn't contingent on you, Abraham. It's not contingent on Sarah being a perfect mommy or a perfect wife. God just restates it there in the end. Why did Sarah say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then God restates it. Abraham, listen to me. Don't listen to your wife's laugh. Listen to me. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. That's what's going to happen here. This isn't contingent on you, Abraham, and Sarah being the perfect mommy and daddy. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Now we fast forward to Genesis 21, a year later. The time has come to see if God's going to make good on his word, if he's going to keep his promise. We're going to start in verse 1 of Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had what? Said. God wasn't just checking in. I wonder how Sarah's doing. He made a promise. He's keeping it, isn't it? Look at the very next words. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah is learning a valuable lesson about trusting in the word of God, isn't she? God does as he says, and he fulfills what he promises. Not not just for Sarah, for all of us. And so God revisits Sarah, verse 2, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Now the scripture over and over again wants us to understand this happened the way God said it was going to happen through Sarah. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And listen to this. This is so beautiful, ladies. This is where redemption begins to come out of the story. Verse 6. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said that Abraham and Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in my or his old age. What a valuable lesson Sarah is learning about trusting the word of God. Ladies, I want you to hear me on something. God has given you his words too. And he's put them in the Bible. This is the word of God. The Bible is static. It doesn't change. It's so important for you to hear, ladies. God, who is immeasurable and infinite, has chosen to reveal himself to you, to make promises to you, through a word that doesn't change. Now, why am I laboring to make that point to you? Obviously, God wanted Sarah to remember, my word doesn't change. Listen, ladies. The temptation is to to find approval, peace, and joy in things that change like your husband's opinion of you, like what your boyfriend thinks about you. Now, those opinions change, don't they? 
And one moment, he, one moment he thinks you're the most beautiful thing that ever walked through the doors, and the next minute, he's lost sight of that. Because we're a little dumb and hard-headed sometimes, aren't we, men? But see, if your trust is in what he thinks about you and how, what he thinks about your beauty, that's dynamic. It changes, doesn't it? goes up and down. And if you let your confidence be rooted in that, your confidence is going to do what? Up and down until you have none. If your hope is rooted in the obedience of your children, that changes, doesn't it? Up and down and back and forth. In one moment, you're like, yes, we're getting it right. Look at this. Let's write a book. Wait, what are you doing? No, you're making a mess of things. We'll write the book next time. Oh, that's not good. And See, because why? God's not calling you to put your hope in your children. They're going to be back and forth and up and down, and it's dynamic. It's not static. It doesn't stay the same. And God would say to you today, listen, women, put your trust in something that is the same today as it was yesterday, and it will be tomorrow, and that is God and God alone. And he reveals his unchanging character to you in a word that is unchanging, and that is beautiful, beautifully expressed here in this story when God says, To Sarah, remember what I said? Remember my words? They don't change. You laughing at me is not changing the outcome of this story. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. When I don't feel loved, ladies, I know you have those days. Maybe you're having that day today. It's not your husband or your boyfriend's affection that you need. It's not a Mother's Day card from your kiddos. When you don't feel love, what you need is something that doesn't change. You need God to remind you that you are loved. A love that doesn't go up and down and back and forth. A love that is static. When you don't feel lovely, maybe you're having one of those days today. If not, tomorrow's coming, right? You know, God's word doesn't change. God says to you, you are made clean. You are pure. You are perfect. You are holy in Christ, my son. I've made you radiant and glorious and beautiful, and that doesn't ebb and flow with the times. Think about the lies of our culture, lady. You go through the grocery store. You're waiting to check out. For those of you who do that, I think, you know, most of us now, we, we order through the app, and we pick it up in the back of the, at Walmart, and Costco delivers it or whatever, but those of you who still go through the old-fashioned way of buying groceries, standing there in line, you look over at the tabloids, and what's portrayed to you is today's cultural standard of beauty, and you look over and you see what the culture would say to you is beautiful. This is the, this is the outfit you need to have. Um, these are the length heels you need to be wearing. This is your skin color for the, for the day. This is the hair length and hairstyle that you need to have, and so you're tempted to do what? Go back home, make some appointments, got to make a hair appointment, nail appointment, tanning appointment, got to go online and buy some clothes. You get the outfit, you get all dolled up, and then you come back to that same store the next week and you glance over just to measure yourself, make sure you got it right, and you realize, oh my gosh, it's changed. I think back on the, the 90s um, at how frequent the look of the culture shifted with Jennifer Aniston. Whatever her hairdo was is what women held to be the standard of hairdos. And you, you're laughing because some of you did it. You went and got you some Jennifer Aniston hair, and then you went back and watched the next episode of Friends and realized, oh, she changed her hair this season. I have to redo my hair. See, that's changing. That's not static. It's fleeting. And God would say, listen, if you don't feel lovely, come to an opinion that doesn't change. 
You're my daughter. I've made you pure and clean and radiantly beautiful. And that opinion doesn't shift and change. I think probably the most beautiful part of this story is how God redeemed Sarah's laugh. Notice how God didn't tell Sarah to quit laughing, but he redeemed her laugh. Here in 21, it's expressed this way. You know, he called her out on laughing in, in 18, but now here in chapter 21, God has made laughter for me. See, that's not the kind of laughter that covers up shame and pain and hurt and doubt and fear. That's the kind of laughter that's full of joy. Sarah says, listen, God has made laughter for me. And then look at what, imagine saying this next statement, ladies. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. God took one of your greatest fears that people would laugh at you and he's redeemed that now in Sarah. And Sarah's like, everybody's gonna laugh when they hear what God did in my life and I'm okay with that. Everybody's gonna giggle a little bit when they know the real story about how God worked through me, through my fears, through my doubts to produce something miraculous. God redeemed Sarah's laugh. Now, I know the temptation for a lot of us, and especially ladies, just from counseling and just knowing a lot of women, the temptation for you when you look in the mirror is to see the failures of your past. To remember where you fell short as a parent last week, you yelled, lost your temper. Maybe even your, your memories go even deeper than that, back to high school and things that you did or participated in or things that happened to you. I think it's so helpful for us to know how the Bible remembers Sarah. I think it's so helpful for you to take a moment to think about how does the Bible call us to remember Sarah? Well, if we fast forward in the Bible all the way to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 11, we're gonna get a beautiful portrait of what redemption looks like. This is how God calls Sarah to remember herself. Listen to this, one verse from Hebrews 11, 11. So we would expect, I would expect the Bible to say, you know what, Sarah wasn't perfect. She made a lot of mistakes. Matter of fact, she laughed at God and then finally she came around. But listen to what the word of God says. In remembering Sarah, verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Isn't that remarkable? Sarah wasn't remembered for her weaknesses, was she? She wasn't remembered for her doubt. She wasn't remembered for her fear. She was identified to us as a woman who had been changed by the miraculous power of God through her faith in his word. Was it a perfect story? No, and neither is yours. But what God is saying to you is, listen, you're identified by what I do in you and through you, not by the sum of your failures. It's not who you are in my son Jesus. There's a, um, a book that um, I remember my wife reading this book um, by Emily Freeman um, called Grace for the Good Girl. If you ever find yourself in that trap of trying to be the good girl, trying to measure up, trying to meet everybody's expectations, and that just becomes a burden to you, there's a, a book called Grace for the Good Girl, because good girls need grace too, right? Listen to this quote from Emily Freeman. She says, the story of redemption and healing 
is that Jesus came to exchange my not good enough with his better than I could ever imagine. You're not good enough. You ever felt that way? Maybe you feel that way right now. The story of redemption is that Jesus has come to exchange something with you. He wants to take your I'm not good enough that you're feeling and he wants to exchange that for his better than I could ever imagine. He came to trade my life for his, my weak for his strong, my ashes for his beauty. He longs for each of us women to receive the gift of himself. Here's the punchline of the story of Sarah in Genesis. Isaac wasn't the gift. That was not Sarah's gift. Sarah's gift was God himself. Isaac was the byproduct of that. Listen, ladies, your gift is not this perfect man. Most of you are already aware of that, aren't you? (laughs) You were aware of that on day one. What did I get into? God's gift to you is not perfect children. Yeah. You know that too, don't you? It's not a perfect career or a workplace environment where people are going to respect you and esteem you according to your competency and work ethic. Those things aren't God's gift to you. God's gift to you is himself. God says all these other things will let you down, but one thing stays the same, and that's me. And ultimately, ultimately, Sarah's greatest gift she received was not Isaac. It certainly wasn't Abraham who tried to sell her out twice. It was God himself. I just wonder how many of you are wrestling with some of these things today. Not last week, not last year, but like today. Some of your struggles have come to the surface. Through Sarah's example today, we see a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be a woman after God's own heart. It's not this measuring up to the world standards or some kind of hypermoralism. It's not being a perfect wife, being a perfect mother. Being a woman after God's own heart means this. Listen, listen please ladies. Your identity is rooted in what God and God alone thinks of you and what God and God alone has promised you. God makes better promises to you than your husband makes. He makes better promises to you than your children make. God turned Sarah's self-doubt and fear into faith in God's power to do what seemed impossible. Now let's talk for just a moment very candidly. God has made some amazing promises to you, ladies. I'm gonna go over a couple of them in just a moment. First and foremost, God has promised to set you free from the shackles of shame and guilt that come from your sin and the sin of others against you. He has made you a promise that if you will trust in his son Jesus, he will make you clean. That's got to be good news for some of you. Pure, holy, radiant. Now listen, some of you in here today are still struggling to believe that. And you know it. I don't know it. I'm not projecting this on you. But you know every time you look in the mirror, you see more of your failures than you do of Christ's work in you. And you struggle to believe that he can really make you clean. You're okay with believing it for other people, but you struggle to believe that he truly can make you clean. Listen to me, ladies. 
If that isn't true, none of the rest of it is true. We might as well throw the rest of it out. Listen to me. God has promised that if you will trust in his son Jesus, he will make you white as snow. In his eyes, you will be his daughter, a radiant bride, pure, clean, holy, and righteous. And I know, I see the look on your face. Some of you are struggling to believe that. Like Sarah, you're struggling to believe the impossible. That seems impossible to you. And God would respond to you the same way he responded to Sarah. Is anything too impossible for God? And, And the second part of this, like Sarah, God wants to work through your life to impact the eternity of others. He wants to work through you. And for many of you, that feels impossible, right? That God would want to work through me. I've made too many mistakes. I'm too inadequate. I'm, I'm too afraid I'll mess the thing up. And God says, listen, it's not based on what you can do. It's what I can do through you. And God calls you to set up a lunch with that woman from work that you know he's calling you to invest in, to lead to Christ. Listen, you, are you going to shrink back in fear based on what you can do? Or are you going to step forward and trust in his word? God wants to do the impossible in your life, ladies, and through your life. Being a woman after God's own heart means that your life is rooted in God's promises as you trust him to do the impossible in your life and through your life. God's made you some beautiful promises. Listen, he's promised to free you from the shackles of shame. God has promised to free you from the burden of legalism, hypermoralism, and the lie that unless you have it all together, you have no value. God's desire today is to set you free from that mess. He promises to take the ashes of your failures and turn them into a beautiful story of redemption. God promises to take the discarded and broken shards of self-image and give you an identity rooted in what Christ and Christ alone has done for you and not what you can do for yourself. I love the honesty of the Bible. I need honesty. How about you? Social media is not honest enough for me. I need honesty. And what God would say to you ladies today is look to the example of Sarah. I didn't choose her because she had it together. Look at me, moms. You don't have it together. God did not choose Sarah because she had it together. Wives, God didn't choose Sarah because she was a perfect wife and she was going to follow her husband perfectly. Trust me, you're not perfect either. That's where we need redemption. That's where Christ comes into the story. He takes your shame to the cross and says, let me make an exchange here with you. I'll take your not measuring up, don't have it together self upon me, and I'll give you something you can't do for yourself. I'll make you pure and clean, and I'm going to work through you in ways that are going to blow your mind. I am going to do the impossible in your life and through your life. The question, ladies, is will you believe him? Will you believe God at his word? Because these are his words, not mine. I want to land here today. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come forward. and um, I know that um, you know, today can fall a little bit heavy on us. But listen, like there's no greater gift that you could receive today than to have your heart redirected to the cross and what Jesus has done for you. 
And so I, I, my prayer, my hope for you today is if you came in here today not knowing who Jesus is and not trusting in him, that you would not leave here without making that decision. So our prayer partners are gonna be available. Our worship team is gonna be up front leading us as we respond. Um, let's pray together. God, thank you for these uh, beautiful and powerful reminders today through Sarah's story. Um, God, just personally, I was so encouraged today to be reminded that your opinion of us and your promises to us are static. They don't change. God, thank you that you give us this anchor in the Bible that allows us, God, to, to rest God, that allows us to place our confidence in what you can do rather than what we can do for ourselves. God, I just can't help but believe around this room there are ladies who walked into this room, maybe even teenage girls who walked into this room. God, shackled by shame or fear or doubt. And God, today your gift to them is to set them free. God, I, I know that there are probably men in the room who, God, fall in the same category. So God, this morning, would you stir our affections for Jesus? Would you call us to the cross and what he has done for us? God, in whatever things that we've been trusting in to feel better about ourselves, could we loosen those anchors and, and tether ourselves to Jesus and him alone this morning? God, I pray you would do that work in us for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.